think of the last time you saw your doctor or medical professional, you were likely there for your own reasons, obviously, but have you ever considered the personal journey behind the person helping you with your own health? I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. It's so easy for us to forget that the people who help us along with our health journeys are people too. And I don't mean that in a bad way, just that we kind of live in our own world, especially when we're dealing with a medical issue on any end of the spectrum. My guest today, Adriana Johnsgaard, is a non-practicing physician who is board certified in functional medicine, a self-proclaimed life enthusiast, always on the search for optimal health, a self-proclaimed biohacker. She is a two-time cancer thriver, a proud wife to a police officer, and a mom of two. Hi, Adriana. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you as a guest on Keep Yourself Well. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Yes. Well, I was thinking, well, this is, I mean, we've not as far as I remember, we've not had the chance to meet in person face to face, but we are now at least getting to meet virtually. And we first connected, which you jogged my memory on this fairly recently, years ago over ketone. So, but now we've gotten the chance to, to get to know each other a little bit more. And I'm excited to get the chance to know you even more today. So that being said, before we get into a bit of your personal story, which I know you've got quite the journey to share. And I'm personally very excited to learn more about it and to share with our listeners. I just want to know generally, like right now with where you're at in life, how do you keep yourself well? I have learned over the years um, how my body responds and what's um, what's optimal for me. We are bio individuals. Um, we don't, meaning we are all different. Um, we are all unique snowflakes um, and there's no other that is the same out there. Um, so you always have to look at what works for you, not what works for others, but for you. So um, I use a lot of biohacking um, things that I have uh, in my uh, in my arsenal here. And, and that's, you know, I track my sleep. I track my uh, body temperature, respiration, um, you know, I, I eat what's good for me, um, what makes me feel well. Um, and um, I also look at my blood work and, and if the, thing, the things that I'm doing that are they actually doing something good for me? You know, I prioritize me. Mm-hmm. I and women don't do that. And women are the worst at prioritizing them. You know, I always tell people you are on the plane, you are told to put that oxygen mask on first. I say the same thing to all of my clients. (laughs) On yourself before you assist anyone else. It's no different in life. But unfortunately, that is something that um, that we are groomed and conditioned to do. That is our job to take care of everybody but ourselves. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's very unfortunate and it catches up with us. Um, it's that bill always comes due. Um, so, um, it took me, you know, a tragic diagnosis to actually look at that and start doing things for me. Um, as a mother, as a wife, you always, you know, 
you always prioritize everybody else and, and look after after themselves uh, or after them um, and not yourself. So unfortunately, like I said, don't wait till uh, till you have tragic diagnosis. Start reframing, refocusing what's important and making you that number one priority. Nothing else will work if you don't have you as that number one priority. And having prioritizing you, you, you know, you actually have, um, have that feeling of loving yourself, you're starting to realize that you are, um, when you feel well, everything else is better. That's, that's how I, I look at my individual needs. You know, I, I used to, like I said, my tragic diagnosis of cancer got me to look at it. And I would love to know more about that with that diagnosis, because you are a two time cancer. You said thriver the first time that we spoke versus survivor, which I really love because it's just such an empowering adjustment. And I talk a lot about this, just that the positive language change in your inner narrative. And and I think just that simple word is so reflective. So would you tell us about that? Like, Take me back to your first diagnosis and where you were when this all started for you. The first time my first diagnosis was when I was a physician. And um, so working a lot of uh, long shifts, night shifts, um, having a family, um, having a husband that was working um, shift work as well. Um, you know, I have abused my body. I, a former athlete, you know, I've always thought that I was healthy. I ate, you know, I was raised with good quality foods and I've always thought that I was healthy, um, until that one day when you actually get, uh, get to be told that, no, you're not healthy. You actually have cancer. Um, and when you have, when you hear that word cancer, um, it, um, it has, it's like coming back, coming from, you know, a military police background. So to me, it's, um, a flash bang. So when that thing goes off and you have this kind of, uh, you don't really hear everything is muffled. That's how it feels when you, well, for me anyway, and then from other people that I've spoken to um, that had cancer diagnosis, it's like you're sitting in that office and you hear that word cancer. Um, It's like that flashbang went off and everything is muffled. And then you've got that kind of a high pitch uh, sound happening. And then you're just sitting there stunned. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's how it was. Um, you know, I mean, I could get into more detail, but, uh, it was something because I knew too much. I explained every single symptom that I was having. I was explaining it to myself, justifying it. And, um, so then, you know, when the diagnosis came, um, it wasn't a huge surprise, but it was still something that stunned me. Um, and, um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was something that I found out, um, actually it was a a day after my daughter's, um, um, sixth birthday. So, um, it was, um, it was a long time ago, but, um, it was, it was something that, you know, um, it was, it was tough to hear. And like I said, you think you're healthy 
right? It's because, oh, I, I look healthy. You know, you can never go by what you look like. That's why I always, I always say blood work never lies. And, um, and looking at the appearance of someone. So now like, I'm going to mention, you know, the virus that's going around right now. <laughs> um, the C word. The C word. Um, so with COVID, when people say, well, that person was healthy and they had, uh, they were hospitalized or they, they, they passed away um, due to the virus. And um, yeah, it's no, your internal health might not look um, good. Um, but the outer appearance is, is something that uh, we should never go by. Well, you um, and I do a lot of work with metabolic health, right? And metabolic right. health is invisible unless you do yeah. the blood work and, and, deep and, dive and metabolic it. health, so, you know, if you look at the statistics, unfortunately, you know, only um, about 80% um, of the population is 80% of the population is metabolically unhealthy. It's actually 88% um, because there's 12% that um, of the population that is metabolically healthy. Um, hence, you know, why we're looking at all the issues that we're having right now. Um, and unfortunately, that's still not being addressed, you know, with the nutrition and, and when you go look at uh, what, what they eat in the hospital, right, or what they serve you in the hospital, what dietitians or, oh, or nutritionists at the hospital tell you to eat. Um, and I've experienced that myself and with my clients, um, the nutrition within hospitalized settings and, and care homes. And that's one of the reasons that I specifically am pursuing public health and why I wanted to choose public health over going into like a more traditional medicine route, because mm -hmm. until the policy changes, so much is out of the control, you know, Right. of a physician. So as a previously practicing physician, I would love to know what your journey into medicine was originally, and how you transitioned from there into functional medicine, which is where you're practicing now. I've always um, trusted and believed in uh, conventional medicine. Um, I, you know, I was always intrigued and fascinated by the human body um, and its phys physiology. Um, I still do. I mean, our, our bodies are amazing, but there's so much still that we don't know. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've always loved, loved helping others, um, to feel better, um, to fix. I was always the caregiver fixing things. And, um, and I just, I, I love that. And, and I, I still do. I believed in what I was doing. Um, when I got into, um, you know, medicine, it was uh, something that, um, that gave me a lot of satisfaction and, and fulfillment. Um, and um, I, I worked with uh, the elderly uh, a lot. I, I mean, I, I have, I've have had a very special relationship with my grandmother. And, um, and so I, it just since she she's passed away. Um, and I, I haven't had you know, anyone to really fill that void, but, um, it was, there's something about the elderly. I just love, love their stories, love their, uh, you know, characters. And, and, and it's just, um, I, I don't know. It just gave me that sense mm. of, uh, sense of 
purpose. And, and um, so that was mainly what I did, but I, I also done emergency um, medicine uh, as well. That I've always believed until I got um, cancer the first time. Uh, and I've gone through all the, you know, the traditional standard of care um, oncology approach. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, my cancer came back the second time a um, few years few years after um, the treatments that I've gone through um, the first time around was um, it, you know, it, you're not, first of all, nutrition is not part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, supplements are not part of it. Um, your well-being, meaning like movement, um, sun exposure, um, sleep or anything, there was no guidance at all. You're basically bombarded with um, with medication, whether it's, you know, chemo or, um, or radiation or both, um, or in surgery, which I had all three. Um, and, um, that leaves your body destroyed. It takes years and years to recover from that. Um, and unfortunately I've gained weight. Well, first I lost weight, a lot of weight. Um, I was told to eat anything that's calorie dense, and if you go to the cancer center, you'll see there's bake sales, there's things that are not, you know, good for you um, to, to support the well-being, your the health of and, and help your body fight this. So you follow that in advice because you trust and you believe in it, and which which I did. After that, um, you know, I it was a long road to recovery. And in the meantime, you know, I have a car accident and I end up, it was pretty bad. And, you know, um, I was very, very upset about it. Um, you know, my mom was in the car. My mom was actually worse off than I was. We were both, um, taken to the hospital. Um, I, I was very upset about it, but in disguise that that was a blessing, um, because, um, I found out I had cancer again. And so that is where conventional medicine is, it's got its shortfalls. Um, It, it, you know, it, it happened. There is no, once you are basically, you finish your treatments, you are let go. There is no guidance. There is no, um, there is nothing to help you find something that will actually um, help you recover um, and thrive again, right? Um, so you survive the cancer, you survive the, um, the treatments, but there is nothing in place to guide you um, for recovery. What specific cancer diagnosis did you have? I started out with cervical cancer, um, stage two, and then it, um, you know, so you have the surgery, you have, um, you have the, the treatments and then, um, uh, ended up, you know, the second diagnosis, obviously a metastasize and, and we were, uh, we had a, a, a bigger, bigger, worse problem. And that's something that I have noticed working with cancer patients is that, after their first diagnosis, um, even though they, they, and you're told you are in remission, you have beat cancer. Um, I don't want to be negative, 
and say, no, you didn't. Um, because we all have cancer cells in our bodies. And, and that is, um, that's a fact. Um, it is all dependent on how metabolically healthy you are to get rid of these cancer cells or to keep them under control. Um, and um, there, is no, there is no direction, there is no, nobody's telling you how to do it. And if you look at, um, you know, if you have cancer the, uh, once, you'll have it again. That is, that is almost as, as certain as I, I, I can be because um, we just, a lot of us, just like even with weight loss or things, um, you know, uh, I have clients with heart attacks and um, they do it for a bit. And then after they go back to the old ways, yeah, back the to old the default. ways got you. Yeah. We always revert back to what we know. Now, and do you know what the, the, what the statistic is on that remission? I didn't know it was that certain, you know, I know the likelihood obviously of, of um, I'm not second diagnosis sure is high. Of numbers um, uh, right now. I, uh, but some, um, no, that's okay. It, but regardless, very, a dramatic chance. It is, of it is, is it is a, a good chance that you will have it again. If you're not changing, changing what you're doing, what you've right. been doing. And so it's something that, you know, um, is important to me. Um, I, reframed, you know, like people say, Oh, live a little, you know, um, one, whatever won't kill you. Um, it, it's, uh, it's one won't, but if you keep adding to that toxic bucket, um, and if there's just so much toxicity out there, um, and then that's your food, your environment, you sleep, you stress, like chronic, everything is chronic. And then you just keep adding to it, adding to it. And, and uh, yeah, you won't be able to, uh, your body won't be able to fight it off. And your well, body controlling what you can. Yeah. yeah so how did sure. your approach change with the, the second diagnosis, which now is a more dramatic? Right. And that was, you know, that the, it was, um, it was uh, obviously in other organs. Um, and um, after that diagnosis, I, I was, um, I sat down and, um, you know, had a, had a good cry and, and heart to heart with my husband. And uh, obviously, this does not work. It's, you know, and then so I started researching. Um, back then, it was, uh, it was, I mean, ketogenic diet, nobody talked about it. What year, um, what year would this have been? Um, that was in 2012. That would have been very, I would have just started keto prior yeah. to that. And I just mentioned this on a previous podcast where the only information that existed at that time, well, and I uh, will be interested to see what you found, but was really based on epilepsy that at that time, like so much of it was still the very outdated, you know, relevant to epilepsy, but early like 1920s, 1930s. And then there's like a huge gap kind of in, in the research as the low fat fad came in. So yes, where did this research take you? Oh, it, it took me down a big rabbit hole. <laughs> and, um, it was a lot. I, I stumbled upon uh, Dr. Dom Dominic D'Agostino. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I have contacted him and um, I wrote him an email. Um, and um, because he was doing um, a lot of research in his lab on um, the ketogenic diet and cancer. And, um, 
I, I was blown away that he actually, because I, I, I mean, I knew how super busy he was and he actually replied. And, wow. um, and then so having back and forth gave me a lot of resources um, and uh, which helped me, um, you know, do more research. And that's, I, I basically started that. That was my plan. I was going to, um, I was going to, uh, you know, formulate my own little protocol to fight this, um, to help my body fight it. Um, and um, I, I got a lot of resistance from, um, from my doctors. Right. I actually got fired by my ne- nephrologist um, and telling me that keto will kill my kidneys and all this other stuff. Um, they thought you were a liability. I, where I actually, you know, um, looked into it and um, people that have had kidney disease or kidney issues actually improved their kidney function with the keto ketogenic diet. Um, yeah. I have and, a couple of clients with kidney disease and we, they're, yeah. they're thriving on a ketogenic diet. Exactly. Um, so it's, um, it, it's, it was a battle in it, in itself, um, with, with my doctors. So I, I decided, um, I decided I was still going to do the traditional conventional, t- uh, treatments. Um, but I was going to implement, the ketogenic diet specifically for cancer, which is very, very low carb. I had only um, 10, it was 10 grams of total carbs that came from green leafy vegetables only. And this is where Um, for just for listeners to highlight, I often say, although one in the same, there's maybe a slight difference in nutritional ketosis and therapeutic ketosis. Although you're in nutritional ketosis doing therapeutic ketosis, it's just the depth and level of your ketones is tending to be a bit more specific. Yes, there is like, so there is the, the, um, the GKI rate, um, uh, the glucose ketone index. Um, so it's a ratio and mine had to be one or below. And so what that meant was that my glucose had to be very, very low and my ketones had to be nice and high. Um, And so I did a lot of fasting um, and um, someone I, I, I got to, you know, I I started going uh, even down further and um, found this amazing soul. And her, her name is Dr. Nasha Winters. It's actually her birthday today. <laughs> um, no, happy birthday. Perfect she timing. Is, she is um, a, a God's gift to, um, um, to everyone that is looking to optimize their health, especially when it comes to cancer. And um, she has a great book. Um, and it's, it's called Metabolic um, Approach to Cancer. And I think that um, every single person should read that. I need to Um, read it. She is, um, I love just the way the book is laid out. It's simple. It's anybody can understand it. Um, She has these little um, surveys where you fill out your your answers and then it takes you, you know, what your toxic load and everything, what, what is, and what blood work you should get. It's, uh, it's an amazing oh. thing for um, a, a resource for 
uh, patients, um, you know, family uh, or even uh, practitioners. Um, so it's, it's an amazing, she's actually working on her second one, um, but uh, wealth of information. And um, she has a lot of, um, a lot of things that are very easy and simple to implement. Um, and it is the, yes, the, the ketogenic diet. You know, so that was a resource for you at, at this time. I didn't have the book back then, but. Um, oh, so she just, she was a resource. So were yeah. you at that time you were combining, and I think this is a big takeaway because, you know, and I, I want to get into what your definition of functional medicine is, but just, you know, differentiating between that kind of traditional approach to cancer management and the more functional approach that you started to move into you kind of took a hybrid and, you know, combining the multimodality approach of you're utilizing nutrition, but also some of the traditional therapies. So at that time, cancer or sorry, radiation and chemotherapy alongside your nutrition. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a big, um, you know, it's, it, it takes a lot of effort because it has to be very precise. Um, but, you know, the fasting, to increase your, I mean, you are doing the fasting. So before the treatments, I would fast for a minimum of three days. And um, this is where I used exogenous ketones as well. You know, doing the exogenous ketones before my treatment um, would really starve. It would basically make that treatment more effective. Mm. Although, and I had to lie of what I was doing because you know we're not we're not recommending lying to no, your physician no, not we're recommending just, but I'm just saying, communicating Adriana's experience it's, it's not that I was lying I should say I was no, not but you closing um I totally what I was doing because um because of the um conventional oncology mm-hmm. how they want you to Absolutely. be off of all supplements not take any supplements because in their opinion is that it will actually hinder your therapy well, when the, the other way around. Yeah, the research shows that the chemos can be more effective on a ketogenic diet and the side effects, the negative side effects, oh, which, and as the you recovery. know, are, yeah, yes. are lower on a, on a ketogenic diet and or fasting or using exogenous ketones. Oh. And I mean, I totally understand when you say like not disclosing to your physician, I think now it's, you know, years later becoming more accepted almost a decade later. But I myself said with the amount of research I've done at this point that if I knock on wood, you know, was ever to have a diagnosis of cancer, it would be multimodality approach with keto and fasting, traditional therapies as needed and hyperbaric chamber. Um, yeah, I did oxygen, that as well. Oxygen yes. therapy to again, starving so you're starving the, you know, the ox, basically you are starving the cancer cells. You are making them more vulnerable, um, where that treatment will actually be more effective. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's amazing how all that put together works. And then that's how I still work. I look at things, what, I'm always looking for more optimal ways of health and, and living. Um, you know, it might not work for others, but I mean, this, like you said, all putting all those therapies together, um, it does work. I, I mean, I've worked with cancer patients um, and we've done um, 
one of my actually uh, cancer patients, she, that was her second time around for breast cancer. And um, the way she went through the second round of surgeries, chemo, um, radiation was amazing. Like she said to me, I have more energy than I did before I was diagnosed. Um, you know, having three kids and she grew hair during chemo the second time around. And, you know, but it was, uh, it's not easy. I mean, it's, it, it's, it takes a lot of effort, um, but, and you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah, I think that's, a, and that's, I think one of the reasons that you and I are so passionate about having these conversations, not saying it's, it's the only way or nutrition is the solution, but it can be a baseline therapy that's within our control. So why not exhaust it to its fullest? And that's how I've always felt with, you know, if I could give a recommendation to someone with a cancer diagnosis or with a genetic, you know, history within the family, et cetera, keto as a baseline, the risk is so low, you know, and the reward, the potential is reward no is, well, exactly, <laughs> I mean, exactly, you know, so. is, when did, you know, eating whole foods become risky? Yeah. So, you know, nobody, nobody says anything when you're eating junk. Yeah. Oh, oh, live a little, live a little, oh. you know, enjoy life. I enjoy life. I enjoy life because um, eating a certain way makes me feel good. How did your diagnosis then progress as you implemented the ketogenic component the second time around? Well, um, second time around, it was amazing. Um, it was, uh, it, it wasn't easy it, it, when you're told that you will not see your kids grow up, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, you, you just, I, I refuse, I'm a fighter. I refuse to give up. And, and that, that said, I did not give up. I didn't sit there. I still went through my different stages, right? You go, uh, you, the anger, denial, um, all you the know, stages of grief, which we often that, think only right? relate to death. Yeah. And then, and then you can just, uh, and then just, I said, that's it. Um, I'm done with this. We're moving on. Um, and, um, just like I, I, I tell my clients, you can have your own pity party. It's okay to do that. Don't sit in it yeah. for too long, you know, have it, and then move on, um, make a plan to, to move forward, um, not backwards or stay in the same, same spot. Cause it just snowballs into a bigger thing. And then in the end, you have this huge overwhelming thing that you just think that you cannot deal with. Yeah. Oh, um, the mental component is right. so powerful. So the secondary diagnosis came in 2013. And then at what point were you cleared after going through this the second time around? Um, well, I mean, within a year when I had my PET scan, the spots that I had on my liver have disappeared. And, um, you know, I had to wait for that PET scan. There was a, a good wait. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, I, you know, I did travel out of country to the US for, um, for, you know, periods of time to, um, because like the hyperbaric chamber, we have one in Moose Jaw, but yes, uh, now you can opt in. It, Anyone it can go. Not, it is not ideal. That's the problem is because mm. you have to do it right before the treatment. 
right? So it needs to be in the cat, the oncology. It, it needs center. to be right there where you can actually utilize it. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's great to do at any time, even when you're healthy. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, but, um, but driving to Moose Jaw back and forth, and unless you're getting your treatments, um, yeah. So all these things I had to put together. So that's why we would leave, um, for, for, um, you know, periods of time and, and have, have my treatments, um, all together. Um, and, um, it, it worked like a charm. Um, you know, now looking at my blood work, you could never tell that I had kidney failure that I ended up on dialysis a few times. You can never tell that, um, I had cancer. Like it is, why not utilize all that? Right. Um, but again, there's no, like, there's just no, no risk to, to aiding and doing what you can to control the disease through nutrition. So after you are cleared, do you go back to practicing traditional medicine or is this where you're going? And that's how, that's how my path. So basically, um, of course, I mean, going through two cancer diagnosis, um, not, I, I did not go back. Um, and, uh, to recover, it's still, you know, it takes time to recover, um, from even if you're doing it right and everything, yes, not to glamorize that it's an easy journey. No, regardless. No, no, yeah. no. It's, it's definitely, you know, a long road to recovery, but I have the tools and the knowledge of how to do it this time. And, um, you know, I, I was still quite strict. And like I said, I prioritized me. Um, you know, it's, I finally, I would tell my kids, you know, this is my time right now. Um, unless you're missing a limb or the house is on fire, do not come and bother me because I will be either, you know, like in, in my bedroom, uh, doing, doing, uh, you know, meditating and doing things for myself or, or even light exercise or just soaking in the tub with Epsom salts. Um, I would have, you know, I would designate a minimum of an hour of just to be able to do just things for me. And uh, that was my, that was the minimum that I started doing. Um, and, uh, you know, the kids started to respect that. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and all of a sudden it became a habit. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, that I don't, you know, um, overexert myself. Um, and, and, uh, as long as I recognize that and, and, you know, next time, yeah, no, I, I got to I got to prioritize me and it's not being selfish. I always say it's self-loving something that you're doing for your body, for you. Um, you're giving your body the chance to recuperate and, and re regenerate and like going to bed at a certain time and getting that eight, nine hours who gets eight, eight, nine hours of sleep. Right. So um, we did. So I, I, you know, these things are my priorities is ketogenic nutrition, something your entire, and I want to actually give you an opportunity because you said that you don't necessarily use the term ketogenic nutrition in the traditional sense, right? talking generally. So I want you to have an opportunity to explain that. But also, how do you navigate nutrition as a family? Do the kids eat what you eat? Do you give them the option? How do you navigate mealtimes? And your kids are older now. 
So of they course, are older, I'm sure but we have always, um, you know, we have followed uh, more of a paleo um, approach. We've, um, I have, you know, children. There's nothing wrong with children eating carbohydrates, and to me, carbohydrates are fruit and vegetables. <laughs> yeah, natural, um, naturally occurring. Yeah, I, I don't. When when people tell me I don't eat carbs, you don't eat fruit and vegetables. Oh yeah, I eat that. So those are carbohydrates. Um, I, you know, I believe, um, you know, it all, it is all based on your health and your goals, um, what you should eat. Everybody is, like I said before, bio-individual. They, we all time. have different um, glucose or carbohydrate tolerance, right? Some might, um, you know, might have um, an apple and, their glucose just goes skyrocket high and, and, you know, you, um, and they can't, they can't control it. And then their glucose will crash right after, um, eating naked carbs. That's another term I, I, that I don't, you know, never eat naked carbs is that's what I say is if you're having carbohydrate fruit and vegetables always have protein with it. Yeah. Always. You know, fat and carbs, I'd be careful with that. Um, they don't know, exist. Let me use this as the they opportunity don't exist to say in they nature, don't exist in nature. nature. <laughs> that way it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it's just not a, not a good combination. I highlight and, that. Like a lot, I think a lot of people don't, they don't realize that. And also that's one of the reasons that processed foods are so hyper palatable or easy to consume because they're having an overriding response on our they are chemical designed system, right? Because the reward centers are so affected by that. So for anyone listening that doesn't know that or hasn't heard, you know, either myself or Adriana mentioned that before, there's no food in nature that naturally combines carbohydrates and fats in any sort of, you know, dramatic way, trace carbohydrates in something like an avocado, for example, which is majority fat, but like truly our bodies have not been designed to know what to do physically and digestively with fat and carbohydrates in combination. So um, back to my, you know, our family, how we eat, Um, like I said, we used to um, do paleo. um, And then once I had uh, my second diagnosis and treatment, I was doing a very strict ketogenic diet. Um, I was Mm -hmm. doing a lot of fasting. um, And um, my family was still eating paleo. Um, Then once my and I think that was more because um, my husband didn't want to put that stress, additional stress on me to, to change everybody. I was just, you know, making my own little meals and uh, what I needed. And I wasn't worried about what they were eating and, and if they liked it or not. Um, I've always included my kids in um, grocery shopping, like not actually going uh not always going to the grocery store, but I would make on Sundays, I would make lists on for what we're going to eat throughout the week. And the kids would pick things that they wanted to eat. And there's only, you know, certain things that we would pick because that's what we eat and that's what I would buy. Um, And then we would, you know, they would help me prepare it. Um, You know, whether it was uh, cutting, cutting up or portioning or, or, um, marinating, you know, things like that. We were, we were doing that as uh, together. Um, and 
you know, I would notice how food started would affect the kids as well, even though they were eating paleo, you know, at, um, at school, they would have field trips or, you know, like a band trip or something that they were gone for, um, for a couple, uh, couple days. And then they had, especially when they were getting into the early teenage years, um, they would have pizza or something that we didn't really eat. Um, like we ate pizza and other things, but better quality. Right. Um, and so they would come back with attitudes mm-hmm. and, you know, you could totally uh, see how it affected their moods. Um, and then of course, hormones and how, you know, the skin health, you know, with acne and things. Um, it definitely, so I would point this out, see how, how that is, you know, affecting your um, your mood or your skin or, or, you know, right. how, how you're sleeping. Yeah. And, how does it uh, really make you feel? Yeah. Is it a treat if it makes yeah. you feel? So, and then treat, I mean, then when we're talking about treats, we, we, we have treats and it, it's fun to plan out a, a treat, you know, whether it's um, something that is still healthy, but we've done it you know, we do it as a treat, Lynn, and I've always to- told my clients with uh, definition of a treat is on rare occasion that gives you tremendous pleasure. Um, when you have it every day, it's not a treat. <laughs> so, so planning out this treat, and of course, you know, when you plan out and, and, and people that are following the ketogenic diet or other, um, other ways of eating, you know, having that treat once in a while, um, not as a reward, because then we're, we're opening up a different can of worms, <laughs> but as, you know, as something that it gives you great pleasure and, and then you enjoy it. Um, setting yourself up for uh, success with with that treat by eating well the whole week and eating well that day or perhaps even fasting. But I would never recommend breaking a fast with either sugar, alcohol or or other things that are not um, not healthy. Um, Having that occasional treat is not going to make you gain weight. It's not going to make you fall off the wagon unless you are just at the beginning of your journey and you, you need to have, you know, um, the discipline and, and the routine that, um, you, you, when you have it, you, it's not hard to uh, just have a treat and then go back to the, yeah. the same It's way. a little more fragile in, in yeah. the beginning. I think both mentally and emotionally, and also physiologically, when you're not as fat adapted, you also won't get back into a state of ketosis quite as, as quickly. And yeah, I love your definition of a treat. I'm going to borrow that uh, immense joy. But and I say experiential, you know, like, I think that if and when you're going to enjoy a treat, you know, it's with the kids, or it's at a great restaurant, or it's something really special to you in that either social or experiential way. So I mean, I think that's just a really great approach to nutrition as a family. And I love how you mentioned really including your kids from what it sounds like a young age in that experience and autonomy of taking part in choosing some of the groceries within like the, you know, limited choices, I guess, like not all of the processed choices and bringing them into that preparation of, of the food to learn more about it. And I can only imagine how the impact of your diagnosis affected your family as a whole with young kids and, you know, your partner 
of course. So what was that experience like as you went from, you know, diagnosis to diagnosis and into your healing journey? It was a bumpy road. Um, You know, it's my husband was amazing at support. And, um, you know, it, it was all about me. Um, and, um, he did everything for me. Um, I was the prior priority and, um, and I am so blessed and thankful to have a partner like that, that, um, you know, he's, he supports me with all my crazy ideas and, and, and everything like it. And when I was, uh, on the couch, um, unable to move, uh, because I, I was just so worn out. Um, but it's, you know, the kids I've tried really hard and I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not to keep them out of it. I mean, obviously they knew something was not happening the way it's supposed to. And, and that mom was uh, not feeling well. And, uh, but, um, I tried to have their lives to be as normal as, um, as they could have. So, um, that impact, you know, um, didn't, uh, it didn't have such a huge impact on them. Um, but, um, it's just, it was basically my husband and I that, um, with his support and, and how we got through it. Um, there was a lot of, you know, mental, uh, health and, and physical health. And, and I always say you cannot have mental health without the physical health and vice versa. Those two are connected. And that brings me back to functional medicine, right? And that functional medicine looks at the entire body, um, not just separate organs or separate systems, because everything is intertwined and dependent. We don't, you can't look at one organ in the vacuum. Uh, You know, it's all dependent one, and it's like a cascade. If something goes out of whack, then it affects another thing, another thing. And, and, um, you know, your gut produces 70 to 80% of your serotonin, um, not your brain. So if your gut isn't healthy, your brain isn't healthy, right? Your, your mind isn't healthy and uh, treating your, your body or mind with uh, pharmaceuticals is just a band-aid approach. Um, and, and it's not doing it. As soon as you stop those pharmaceuticals, what happens? You, um, everything. And I mean, those pharmaceuticals actually damage your gut even further. And, uh, (laughs) and it's it's just a vicious cycle, unfortunately. So with functional medicine, looking at the root cause, um, and looking at, at the body as a whole, the mind, the body and the spirit being one, um, and, and filling in the gaps, you know, like, I'm, I don't want to say that conventional medicine is bad. It isn't bad. You know, I, I love medicine. It is great for acute things. Functional medicine fills in the gaps, um, the, the voids of conventional medicine. And if we could put all that together, would be an amazing system. The whole um, is the, the sum the of spectrum, all parts. Right? Right? Um, and, and, and so food is medicine. Um, you know, sleep, uh, stress, we, we glor- glorify, um, you know, being busy and stressed out. 
that's not a good thing. Overworked and underslept is. And it's just like all that is disease creating, right? The recipe for disaster and inflammation. And I I said all the time, I think nutrition is a baseline therapy and should be considered so. And that's the first thing such a limitation to not. And I mean, I obviously you and I agree on much within our personal approaches. So with that being said, I would love to know if if you had to kind of just give some key recommendations in terms of like your now approach transitioning from traditional me- medicine into functional medicine, what would you tell someone are, you know, the kind of your pillars of health in recommending for the general as much as you can generalize the number one is sleep sleep is above nutrition Ugh. i've attended some lectures um from uh dr matthew walker and uh, read his book i had to read his book actually uh, for my course um and that was uh an eye opening. I do Which have is why we, why we sleep, why we sleep book. book. Yeah. Um, and, it and on it, my it, table downstairs. And it's an amazing book. I, I mean, I have had, uh, yeah, I, I got that book years ago and, um, sleep is the most important. That's where we are, you know, rejuvenating your body has time to actually take what's not working and, and, you know, normalize or balance your hormones and normal, you're setting up yourself for success with you sleeping. If you sleep the proper amount of uh, hours and you get good restful sleep, you will make better decisions about your food. You will make better decisions about anything um, and your, uh, your mood, right? So sleep affects all that. Yeah, the decision-making um, faculties alone are exactly, prioritized with sleep. Exactly. So, I mean, um, you know, you don't get enough sleep. You are predisposing yourself to, I mean, you are insulin resistant at um, for, for that day, pretty much. Um, if you didn't have, if you have, you know, four hours of sleep and a lot of women do that. Oh, they stay up late. And that's the thing. They stay up late to have their alone time their me time, you're sacrificing your sleep. So then the hormones and everything that's all affected. And then that goes into your decision making and your nutritional, uh, you know, choices. And and so that would be my number one, I don't want to say, take up too much of your time. And I know we could talk forever. So I want to wrap it up. I think that is such a great takeaway, though, like truly how like highlights star underlying like crucial sleep is to the foundation of our health. Before we go, I want to just ask you a few quick, quick for our questions that I've not prepared you for, but I have no worries. You'll have great answers. So I would love to know, like, if you had to choose who is your biggest role model, do you have someone you consider a role model for you within your life, business, career? Um, there are many, many role models that I have. One of my friends and mentors, Dr. Nasha uh, Winters, I mean, that woman, what she does and the education uh, that she spreads and, and yeah, I think she's, she's just uh, like an angel sent from, oh, you know, <laughs> from heaven um, with, with all the education, she travels the world and, um, ed, you know, speaks a lot at a lot of um, 
um, conferences and uh, does a lot of education for practitioners and um, um, a total a different approach of uh, oncology because she does uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, oncology. So what is the best advice you've ever received? Never take anything personally. And, and that's not how we are. We've, I mean, we've all have, um, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the word trauma, but we all, have, because it's such a strong word, um, we all have traumas and, um, and then they don't have to be huge, but we project all those things onto others um, and taking things personally, um, even though they're not about us. It's not about me, how somebody reacts. It's not about me when someone is uh, hurtful t- towards you. It's, it's about them. And so uh, taking it personally, it's, it's just not, I don't, I say, I don't want or need, I don't have that bandwidth to take on other people's stuff. So next, I want to ask the best book or resource you'd re- recommend to people. I know you've mentioned, um, what was the metabolic approach to cancer? Is that metabolic approach to cancer. But and the then why we sleep. Is there um, any other must-haves for you? Um, a great book by Dr. Uh, Benjamin Bickman. Um, oh, I uh, why, do, why We Get Sick. Um, is an amazing book. And I think everyone should read yeah, that. It I can agree. That is glucose priceless. insulin. I mean, that that uh, Dr. Bickman is the guru of insulin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. has done he's a scientist, and he has done so much studies, um, so many studies um, about it. And I mean, he's he's amazing. Um, another book, that I would recommend. And it, um, it has to do with um, a lot of with the trauma and, and a lot of um, a lot of uh, mental health, uh, how to do the work. Oh, yeah. By, uh, Dr. Nicole LaPera. That one I have is it, I have it in my office here somewhere. Yeah, oh, no, I, I lent so, it out. It's so good. I, 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 was, I recommend it to all my clients. Um, and um, I have, I have followed her since the time she had, you know, 600 um, followers on Instagram only, and she never had a book, but she had all these videos, and she was doing a lot of good posts. And, uh, and and just, I am amazed at, um, and and happy that all the work that she's been doing, and then the following that she has now. I mean, I love all of those resources, absolutely. But I do need to read uh, your role models book so that is oh, going yeah. in my that's going there in are my so many good books instantly. i i read a but, lot of books i mean those are amazing yeah. amazing okay i'm adding that to the list the metabolic approach to cancer um yeah. and then finally well what's your like do you have a personal mantra or words that you live by is there something that's kind of a guiding you know verbal for you yeah life is too short to be miserable um, life is too short to, uh, I mean, to me, health is everything. If I don't have health and that goes for physical and mental health, um, you know, purpose, connection, um, all those to me are, uh, are everything just enjoying life to me, enjoying life is being healthy and, and, you know, making the choice of being happy and um and doing everything 
to be there, meaning the sleep, the nutrition, you know, and I have fun doing it all. Um, I love biohacking. <laughs> so, I mean, like I test things on myself constantly. Yeah. Um, oh, I always you know, say N equals one. I'm my own experiment. Yeah. Health as yeah. well. But I wanted to just ask a quick question before I know we're wrapping up, but do, what do you use? Do you use an aura ring or how do you keep track of some of these biohacking statistics? Oh, you've got it on. Yes. So I, I do aura ring. Um, that was actually, um, an anniversary gift that my husband and I got for each other oh, uh, three years ago. And I tell you, it is the best anniversary gift I got. I remember ordering it in February, didn't get it till August because they just came out with the new model. Um, and then they are from Finland. So, um, <laughs> yes, I've, got, I've been eyeing them up and I, I, know I, I need do, to get one. I think it's amazing. Um, it tracks your sleep, your sleep stages, it um, your respiration rate, your body temperature. So you can, uh, for women, you can uh, track your cycle, your ovulation that way. Um, you, um, for everybody, um, you know, coming down with a cold, you can notice in the graph you know, the bo different body temperatures. And, um, and then of course there'll be patterns for, um, women with, with their cycles, um, uh, body temperature, respiration, your heart rate variability, which is your recovery, yeah, right? If yeah. my recovery, Tells you when you need a break, yeah. If my recovery isn't good, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm going to go for a walk, especially after a meal. And I'm not talking about some power walk. I'm talking about a 20 minute leisure walk. And that is, you know, being outside. If you can't go outside, you know, just doing few squats and, and, and little things. I have an Apple watch. What else do I have? Yeah, <laughs> you that's know, it, but and then just the blood, blood, the ketones and glucose, um, you know, how, you know, a bad sleep, you know, will have my glucose higher. Um, and, and, and then I won't react to foods the normal way and how that stresses my body. And then that predisposes me to perhaps uh, a cold or, or a virus or any, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, an infection. You don't have to have these things just like, you know, going back to exogenous ketones, they're a great tool. All the tools. Not super totally. necessary. But there are extra tools you can bring in, not necessary. The most basic baselines, I mean, are what's within our control, the sleep, the nutrition, the hydration, right. getting outside. So, okay, I can't thank you enough. So if people want to learn more about you, what you've got going on to keep up with you, where can they find you? My it's full potential SK um, on Instagram and it's full potential um, on Facebook. That is all the time we have together this week. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with me. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a new episode every Sunday. And please don't forget to rate and review so that others can find the podcast as well. You can find me, Callie Youngstrom, on Instagram and Facebook at KY Wellness. More details about this episode and all previous episodes can be found at kywellness.ca under the podcast tab. Please don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and don't forget to keep yourself well. I'll see you next week.